And what did you think of the fact that the video did leak? And then after, I'm sure you watched it, just, you know, watching yourself in that moment. Like, what did you think? What did I think of the fact that a video leaking? If I'm being 100% honest, I thought it was shit. You know, uh, no, no other video leaks from practice. You know, uh, uh, when we're working on our sets, they don't leak. When I'm coaching everyone up, that doesn't leak. I thought it was that the video leaks. And saying that, what did I think of myself in the moment? I watched the video 15 times, maybe more. Um, because when I watched the video, I'm looking at the video, and I'm like, yo, this looks awful. Like, this looks even worse than I thought it was. It's pathetic. And then I had to take a step back, too, and realize that this video was actually released this way to look that way. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. With Sam Amy, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's very awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention Dean's they're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper with the guys. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I am Sam Amick, NBA National Writer for The Athletic, here with one of our regulars this week, the one and only Anthony Slater. Later, I'm all choked up introducing you, brother. Um, not only my esteemed tampering co-host, but lately feeling damn near like my college roommate or something. We have spent a lot of time together on this Warriors beat with the Draymond Green story that we are going to get very deep on today. And also joining us, first time in quite a while, uh, one of my favorites, Law Murray, Clippers beat writer, here to talk all things Kawhi, all things PG, John Wall. What's up, brother? Good to see you, Sam and Anthony. Uh, Anthony, I was really enjoying your Japan trip, and um, that's probably the last time I was envious of anything you've got going on this preseason. Hey, I was enjoying uh, the Japan trip, too, and I was enjoying a nice, easy preseason. And then uh, and then I got a phone call, whatever day that would have been, about Wednesday, and it's uh, it's been different ever since. Yeah, yeah. By all accounts, the the vibe in Japan from the Warriors all the way down to Slater was pretty good. Things have changed. And and like I said, guys, we're going to talk about that. The Clippers, as you know better than anybody, Law, are extremely interesting this year. And yet again, as always, this is the Clippers' life where they get overshadowed even by the Lakers and so many other teams. But absolutely title contenders. Uh, Bounce around the league from there. Rob Palenka got an extension that we just didn't know about that happened months ago for the Lakers. Um, you know, news, uh, all things Wembenyana, Scoot Henderson. We got the the young bucks coming up and making major noise. That was a lot of fun in Vegas last week. But let's talk Warriors, guys, um, because it's uh, one of those stories that, as you know, Slater, specifically on this beat, you got stories that you, you think you're going to come and go in the matter of a week or two, and then you have stories like this one that no matter what happens next, we will be talking about this years down the line. You know what I mean? And we've had a lot of very good coverage at our site about this and, you know, yourself and, and certainly uh, the esteemed Marcus Thompson talking about Draymond and legacy. And, and we're going to get into that stuff, but give us the latest. You, you've been back and forth to San Francisco in the Chase Center. Obviously, Draymond is currently away from the team for an undisclosed amount of time. It's kind of a mutual outlook there where they're going to feel their way through this thing. Jordan Poole has yet to address the media and the fans to share his thoughts. Uh, the Warriors in disarray and, and trying to find their way. What are you thinking? Yeah, you know, he was not again in practice Monday. He missed Saturday, missed the game Sunday. I would not expect to see him Tuesday. He pr- presented kind of like an optimistic view. Sam, you were there of like, yeah, maybe sometime next week. You know, I, I hope to play opening night and all that. Um you know, understanding he needed to give the, the, the team time away from him to just kind of gather their thoughts. 
And then he has this idea of then he's going to come and there'll be kind of a group reconciliation. Um, but if you're Draymond Green kind of watching from afar right now, the vibes aren't getting that much better as far as, uh, you know, the wound healing right now. I mean, did, did you see Kavon Looney last night on the podium, Sam? I did not. It just, Tell me. You know, Kavon, who's as easy going typically as it comes, but is an emerging leader within the team was like, you know, Basically, I, I just thought it was surprising how willing he was he was to say like he's broken our trust and and we'll see how long it Ooh. takes to get it to get it back. Um, and you know, Steve has been terse when uh, pressed on any Draymond Green questions. He's obviously upset about the leak, but he's obviously clearly still very upset at Draymond. And he was asked about that trust level being broken, and Steve just went no comment, uh, which I thought was a was a loud comment in a lot of ways. Um, but at the, like, you're still asking some like longer term rotation questions and Steve will say, well, you know, with Draymond's here in this particular rotation. So I don't think it's just like something where don't expect to see him for, for a long time, but it is a situation that isn't going to get, like you said, it's not a weak story. And then, Oh, that was kind of a wild week. So anyways, opener tomorrow. Right. And law, before we, we pull you into this, uh, let me throw another one your way later. You know, last night, we're recording Monday, of course. Um, Jordan comes out, and you wrote this. You're talking about a young guy who just got, you know, leveled in the face by Draymond a couple of days ago in practice. Um, you know, whose name is now in you know thousands of headlines, millions of eyeballs, a lot of scrutiny, a lot of pressure. And the day of the fight or of the punch, he's on the court, finishes practice. Following days on the court, practicing long after a lot of other players are done. You and I watched him multiple times doing his thing uh, post-practice, goes out there against the Lakers and absolutely shows out. Has that viral clip, I think, third quarter where he threw the lane in and out behind the back, got Kevin Durant tweeting about him and, and how nice he is. Um, what did you think of that tweet? <laughs> was that absolutely subtweeting? Yes, I thought so too. I don't, it was like KD didn't want to comment on the situation, but he's like, hmm, this is uh, way in right yeah. here. He's like, man, how resilient. Um, yeah, it's just, it is impressive. Now, I mean, Jordan, I, I think understandably has chosen not to talk at this point. I don't know, maybe I'm supposed to, you know, as a reporter say that he get him out there, but he'll talk in due time. And and of course, hanging over all this, and I want you to, to give us context here, is his ex- uh, extension negotiation. You know, it, it has felt like right before the punch, that they might have been getting somewhat close to a deal, at least the sense in the way you guys were covering it. Um, where does that stand, and how is that factoring in here? It does seem like it's it's getting close. And, I mean, Steve Kerr, in a moment of maybe too much transparency as far as the front office might be concerned last night, said in his post game, like, you know, there's a reason Jordan's in this moment. There's a reason he was able to handle it. And he says, and there's a reason he's about to sign a big contract extension. Pause. Hopefully, you know, he kind of was like, uh, hopefully he's going (laughs) to sign it. And it was like, okay, you know, and obviously Steve's a little bit more privy to that information than we are, but, um, they, you know, Steve then went on to go say like, this guy's is going to be a huge part of our future, you know, for years to come. And, uh, basically said he was the most advanced of these young players that are considered the next era of the Warriors. So I don't know if, the way Jordan has handled this has hardened their belief in him and and their willingness to commit long-term. I don't know if the fact that this Draymond Green punch unsettled Draymond Green's future enough to where they were, you know, contemplating how are they possibly going to get off money? And now maybe it's more obvious which way they need to go to, to get off longer term money. But um, I do expect a contract extension to happen in the next week. Um, Maybe Jordan is waiting for that to, to, to finally speak to us about just like the entire saga that has been this, this last 10 day period for him. Um, but you know, and I also good for the warriors. I mean, he looks like he's, he's like ready for a a year four leap after what was, well, it's certainly, this is a weird parallel and, and law, you know what I'm going to, what I mean when I say this, you know, like in summer league every year, hopefully this parallel lands in summer league. We always talk about how, Young player goes out to summer league and they show out, and then you say, "Oh, but it's only summer league." Well, then my thing is always like, "Well, yeah, but if he if he was awful, then that would be terrible, and and that optic would be much worse than him playing well." 
it doesn't matter that much. The Jordans had a good couple, you know, good game, good couple days. But if he looked shell shocked, and if he looked absolutely shook by the magnitude of this moment, which you know, let's give him a break. Like if he did, that they would have had to deal with that. The guy got you know damn near knocked out. But for him to look like this, play like this, um, it's a hell of a response. And and law, you know, like I said, we've been kind of deep in it. Uh, you've been watching this thing too, and, and you know the league. What you know? How have you been looking at it? What are you thinking here? I've been looking at it. And I mean, the video really changed a lot for me because when this report came out, you know, I, I look at I look at reports that come out. I look at the verbs that are used to describe things. So when I saw forcefully struck, it's like, well, that's Draymond Green playing basketball, <laughs> you know, right. J- Draymond right. Green forcefully struck like six Boston Celtics in the same NBA finals game. Like, what's the difference here? Um, but Seeing seeing what actually happened and and the tape, that's where this is a new way of looking at what the Warriors dealing with, what we talk about when we uh, observe practice mm-hmm. altercations. Something that Steve Kerr has noted has been in the league, uh, going back to his time as a player. Obviously, he was forcefully struck by Michael Jordan one time. I think you noted that in your story, Sam. Um, back in back in '95, and that led to one of the best seasons, arguably the best season in NBA history. Um, the difference here is, and and Anthony, you've done such a great job of of telling the story. You and and, and Marcus, everybody we have up in the Bay, the team is between eras right now, uh, and so everything that happened with Draymond, I'm I'm just looking at okay, how is the team keeping a lid on things? Obviously, some parts. Uh, have been released with the video, but then it's like you're progressing into a new season. You're defending a championship. You are a highly visible franchise right now. You just got back from Japan. Like we're going to probably talk about this Draymond thing every time Draymond's on TV the rest of the season. Is 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 and and so I'm very interested to see how the Warriors handle it. Um, I thought Andre Iguodala's tweet was the one that stuck the most with me because uh, he is a guy who is about to have a farewell tour. Um, whether he wants one or not, that's what, what it's going to be. And what did he do? He said, first of all, this isn't on Jordan Poole. And second of all, whatever happens with Draymond, that'll get taken care of too. And I understand that was before the video got out, but still, I, I just, I'm, I'm really interested to see how Draymond comes back team and what his response is going to look like. Cause Jordan put on last night for sure. I think there it's a team that's kind of dealing with two conflicting motives here. I think that they don't really want to forgive Draymond Green for this, at least not in the near term. I, I think they're upset about the moment, but also upset about the fact that he would do this at his age with his history. They kind of thought he was over it, everything that's been written about. Um, but also it's a team that understands with Draymond Green, they're probably the slight favorites. There's a very good chance they could win a fifth ring. Immortality is ahead of them. They're at the beginning of the season. This is a time to go chase, uh, you know, this this extra carrot for their legacy. Um, and without them, they're just they're not gonna compete for the title. I mean, I I sat there last night and watched Anthony Davis rumble through. Jonathan Kaminga for two and ones and he's hitting jumpers because James Wiseman's too late to get out. Two really great prospects, Kaminga and Wiseman. You could just see in that moment, like, oh yeah, in a playoff series, if they're facing an Anthony Davis, if they're facing a Nikola Jokic, for example, who Draymond was great against in the playoffs, like they're not winning these playoff series without Draymond Green. So once again, which is with the story of the Draymond Green history over the last decade, you must decide how much to put up with to win. And that's what they're trying to decide right now. Slater, you know, again, we've been talking about this every day. Um, but what is your updated feeling about the way the organization is handling this? Because even today, you know, my phone rang a little bit with people wanting my two cents on the weirdness around the, you know, the discipline aspect of this. It started with rumblings that there was going to be a multiple game suspension, like a conventional you know, suspension. That didn't happen. Then it was, you know, before the tape, now my memory is failing me. What was the first message from the team? They just that, in uh, terms of what they were going to do. Yeah, I mean Draymond. What Draymond was away from the team when Bob and Steve and uh, Steph had that. Uh, you know, the video hadn't been out. I think what that would have been Thursday. 
And it was like, look, he, he'll probably be back in the facility on Saturday and we'll figure it out, but everything will be internal. You figured fine was coming. Um, Bob did say he didn't think there would be any, like he wouldn't miss any games. Right. I had asked him if, yeah. if he'd miss games and he said, no, he said he didn't think obviously so. now that's, um, and then video drops, which obviously stuns the world in a lot of ways turn, you know, they've been very upset about the leaking aspect of it, but also I think a lot of people within the organization who did not see the punch in real time saw it for the first time, like everybody else on the video. And that did change a lot of opinions. It, it sure. Yeah. Um, and that, well, even honestly here in real time, as we talk, think about that guys, think about the fact, cause it's, you know, crystallizing on my end now that, that Bob said definitively that he did not anticipate Draymond missing games. Now we don't have the slightest idea when we're going to see Draymond again. And when I asked Steve Kerr the other day, you know, if to, said, you know, to whatever degree you, you can share, what are the parameters of Draymond returning in terms of whose decision it is, what sorts of marks or things need to take place in order for him to return? He, he didn't share anything and said that's going to be, you know, mutual and in-house and between us. Um, you know, Draymond, like you said earlier, Slater talked about wanting to play in the regular season opener, but not knowing if that was going to be the case. Basketball-wise, this probably qualifies as less than ideal. Like you said, these are title, you know, the title defending, you know, group here, and they, they have no clarity about uh, one of their key guys. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, this is a, a big reason why we're spending whatever 20, 25 minutes of this national NBA podcast talking about mm -hmm. it, because this is a, a pivotal moment for a contender. And this changes the potentially the, the landscape at the top of the West. If, if, things don't get resolved. If, if Draymond Green's future is, you know, ends up being so murky, if this derails a warrior season, um, it fails the defending champs. So we'll see. I mean, the, the way Steve, it's just been his messaging on it all has been really interesting. Even, um, you know, he's been so terse, like I said about Draymond and then like upset about the leak. But then you mentioned like, okay, so who's starting in his place? And he goes like, Jonathan Kaminga, he was the best I've ever seen in the scrimmage yesterday. He's been playing great. And you're like, is he trying to hint at like a future, you know, without Draymond? And then yesterday, how, how assuredly he was talking about like Jordan Poole being like a pillar of the future, which means an extension is coming. It just, the way he's messaging out, it's almost like a move on type, you know, scenario, but at the same time, again, and understanding that, they're going to need him back if they're going to matter, I think, in the title race this season. Well, and Steve's a central character here, and and to me, I'm with you, Slater. He's incredibly – it's not even a matter of him being hard to read right now. I think it's pretty clear that he is keeping, you know, 99% of his actual feelings internal. And and if anybody who knows Steve knows that, that if I was a coworker of his, that's when I would be the most uncomfortable if I was the one who he was upset with because – you know, a lot of times he's transparent, he's open, he has absolutely shifted with how he operates right now publicly, and I don't think that is a good sign whatsoever for Draymond. I, I, I don't want to pretend I know what it means, but it, it has certainly gotten my attention, a lot of other people's attention, because, you know, you you might be tempted to think, like you kind of alluded to earlier, Law, like when Steve talks about fights happen in the league and it gives the context of I've seen 20 plus in the course of my career. I'll be honest with you. Like I get the context. I wasn't buying it for a second. If the question is like, do you think this is incredibly serious with Draymond? Uh, I thought he was, you know, th that was a little deceiving if that makes sense. I, I can't read him right now, but Steve's got a lot going on. Yeah, man. Like this thing that they would have preferred to first of all, not happen at all, but then because it happened, if this happens and stays internal, then yeah, you can do a whole lot of things behind closed doors and try and keep a lid on it. It's very external now. And it's not external for a Chicago Bulls team that had Bobby Portis and Nikola Miritich in their training camp. This is external for the defending champs. Like we're all going to see what the discipline is. You know, we're going to handle it internally with Draymond. Okay, is Draymond playing ring night? Are we going to celebrate Draymond Green? as a defending champion, as a four-time champion, uh, like we are the rest of that team come next Tuesday, we're going to find out one way or the other soon enough. So that's, that, that's the part where they're going to, they're going to try and keep things internal, try and move on, try and move past it. That's looking impossible right now. Well, and the, you, right. you know, this is a team 
the coverage of this team is like all encompassing, right? I mean, they're like the biggest brand in the league. You mentioned opening night. It's not even just ring night where he wants to be celebrated. It's TNT against the Lakers. He's part of Turner. I mean, you know, that I, I don't know if this is still going to happen, but he initially had like a documentary, uh, a documentary like camera crew that was around him. Some of the training camps that I think was supposed to, wasn't about to be some full length documentary, but I think part of their pregame show or whatever was going to like, have some Draymond Green celebration style, like, you know, feature. Is that still happening? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, now that the situation's out of the bag, the, the video's been seen, like they know like this, this is the story of their season, at least the early part of their season. My last thought on this front guys, and then we'll, we'll jump into some Clippers talk. And I said this the other day to you Slater is that if you ask me in a vacuum where I think this is headed, for Draymond, specifically as it relates to his relationship with the organization, the degree to which they're pissed about what he did, and just the human dynamics, it, it feels like there, there's probably a lot of temptation on their part to end this chapter and, and to go ahead and say this was the final straw. That's easy to say because this thing doesn't happen in a vacuum. The, the reality is that until you give me a trade that is going to help the Warriors remain not even title contenders, but maybe title favorites, then I think you have to go back to Bob Myers' quote on the first day, you know, the day after Draymond threw the punch when he said, and I'm close to, you know, specific quote, paraphrasing a little bit, is I want to win. Our ownership wants to win. Our players want to win. We need Draymond to win. And that's why the situation and the pressure component of it is so interesting to me because he is such an incredibly unique player and they all know what he means. Steph knows that Draymond elevates his game. Same with Clay, you know, even Jordan at this point. Draymond does something that they can't replace. And what does that mean for where this all goes? You know, we obviously don't know, but but man, we're going to be talking about it all year long, obviously. He's also a very good communicator, talker, as we all know. And you know, again, we learned it at his press conference a little bit the other day, like don't underestimate his ability to wiggle his way back into situations too. And, and he's, this is the ultimate test for him, but he's pretty equipped, right? I mean, I, I don't know what you thought about the general performance of the, the press conference. I think there's some critiques for it the other day, but also some, uh, you know, generally the right message for, uh, of a contriteness, but he... Yeah, I thought he was good. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, listen, Marcus wrote in his column, I thought he put it well, something along the lines of how Draymond a couple of times... I don't know if he used the word pride, but he, he he let some of his pride sneak in a little bit and had a few moments when it was just like, well, if you heard what was said, it might change opinions, so I'm not going to share that. And that that's the wrong road to go down. He did go down that road a couple times briefly, but then always kind of grabbed his own steering wheel and, and brought it back. I thought his messaging was fine. It's just the question of, I always, you know, I think about Monty Williams, obviously the Suns coach. He's, you know, he's got a hat with the motto of, you know, just actions over words. Um, and, and that, to me, is where Draymond is at right now. The question is, he's an incredible communicator. I mean, if you ask my opinion of his apology, did I find it authentic? Yes, absolutely. Genuine, you know, pretty transparent, pretty open, pretty vulnerable, all those things. The question for me is just how many of the guys on the team, and certainly the coaches, GMs, and players who matter most, how many of them have reached the point where it's actions over words and the message doesn't matter anymore? I don't know if this or this is an internal question or not, but just is, is the team at all in any sort of like having to get through stuff in any phase, any, you know, state of shock? I'm sure it's different for each player, but are you sensing that this is something the team is still going through? Uh, yeah. I mean, the, this is, um, this is why it's so crucial uh, to keep things in house. Um, you know, I've been in this league for 30 plus years. I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, when when things are kept internally, um, it's really almost easy uh, to handle them. It's just so much cleaner and smoother, and you can move forward. Um, as soon as things are leaked, um, you know, now um, all hell breaks loose. Sam, I got a perfect transition for us. If Talk this me, does derail the Warriors, there's probably not a team that will benefit the most in the Clippers, right? 
I mean, you know, you have the Suns who were the regular season champs last year, a little bit in disarray. You have the Warriors teetering right now. Meanwhile, you have the Clippers who we are about to talk with Law Murray about who could maybe walk into the spotlight and, and vibes matter. Part of the reason I think the Warriors had the season they had last year was it was like the moment was created for them for this like good vibe season kind of feels like it's heading that way for the Clippers. Maybe we will see. We should probably talk about it. Right. Miss later. I'm so confused Are the Clippers supposed to be good. Cause I mean, I'm out here as a national guy. I write about the Lakers about once a week, you know, write about the boy. <laughs> we overlook this Clipper squad all the time and law. We're doing it again. Uh, Paul is there. Kawhi is there. John Wall is there. And like Slater said, you know, they're looking like a, a pretty stable group by comparison at the moment. How, how are things in Clippers world? I mean, not even by comparison. I think if, if you put them up against anybody in the league right now, uh, they have a, their, their vibe is exceptional, which is a far cry from where they were two years ago coming out of the bubble, right? Uh, coming out of the bubble, everyone wanted to talk about chemistry. Uh, Sam, you were in the middle of all that with my guy, Yovan. So no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that, that was the big thing when I started this beat, it was, Hey, so, uh, how's, how's that part going? You know, how everyone, you know, there's, there's one writer who shows up at, at every Clippers press conference and asks about leadership, you know, and those questions have continuously been answered for two years, but this year is unique because, if the bubble was Kawhi and PG as freshmen, then we're getting to see what Kawhi and PG are like as seniors, you know, year four um, and year four with the heightened sense of urgency, not like actual year four in NBA seasons, the year four as in this group together with all the other stuff, those two have gone through in their respective careers. And uniquely this group is theirs. Whereas the team that they came here to join had already had an established identity. They had a coach who was good for what he was good for and not so good at the other things, whereas Ty Lue is, I believe, far more collaborative. So to start the year, they're all on the same page, and this Kumbaya is probably sustainable because of last year. Kawhi didn't play last year. John Wall didn't play and wasn't even on the Clippers roster last year. Now he's you know playing on a team he wants to be on and playing with guys that he wants to play with, and he doesn't even know if he's going to start or not. That's where the vibes are at, at that situation. You have guys who will not play on a daily basis. They won't play. They are 12 guys who could play 15 minutes, um, and naturally you're not going to play 12 guys a night. But because of the fact that there are so many veterans, led by Kawhi, a guy who we know he's going to miss at least 15 games because that's the back-to-back -back situation, everyone's going to have to be ready. So the level of sacrifices there, as well as the fact that these guys have enjoyed each other, as well as the fact that these guys have had some success and had some adversity to get through. It's a very unique situation uh, to start a year. How, how's law within all that? Let, let's take it down this road because um, it's, you know, the uh, the latest news on your beat. Paul George last night after the, the game uh, tells the media that and I'm trying to pull the quote up here. That uh, and we've seen this this tale with with every elite team that you know the alpha males have got to figure out what the pecking order is. You want to talk, you know, Kobe, Shaq, even Stephen Clay, whoever the heck you want to talk about. Um, Paul comes out and I quote, uh, he says, "Yeah, look at the he's talking about the Miami Heat. Look at the wing wing D Wade, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron. I think it just comes down to listen. Kawhi is the number one." And I am totally fine with that. I, I think I try to compliment him with being able to take the load off of him. Everybody says, Kawhi and you are one and one or 1A, 1B. I'll publicly say, I'm the two. Kawhi is the one. I'm the two. So that part, we nipped in the bud. Like, there's no ego when it comes to that. End quote. That's a massive statement. And you talk about stability. Uh, it doesn't get more stable than that, right? Yeah. And honestly, Paul's been like this his whole career. Um, and Paul got a front row seat to those Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Miami sure Heat did. teams. Yeah. Okay. It's not his first three, not his rookie year, but uh, year two, year three, year four. Paul is a most improved player, becomes an all-star, pushes the Indiana Pacers, a team that was reeling, you know, when Paul got there from the fallout of the 
Malice at the Palace and and everything, that franchise, you know, all of a sudden um, they're challenging this Miami Heat team in the Eastern Conference. And every time he went down, he saw the benefit to Dwayne Wade and LeBron not having it together their first year, right? The NBA finals and humiliation, relatively speaking, in the 2011 finals against the Mavericks and the shift that Dwayne needed to take uh, to support LeBron. Here's the difference in that for Paul. Um, Paul hasn't accomplished what Dwayne had at that point. Uh, so that makes things a little bit trickier. But also, Kawhi can't be the durable stalwart that LeBron was for those Miami Heat teams. LeBron right. never missed games for the Miami Heat, whereas we know which games Kawhi is going to miss before the season even starts because of what Kawhi needs to get through the season and into the money season. And therefore, Paul has to be ready to still be that number one guy more often than Dwayne needed to be in Miami. That's going to be the thing for Paul. So it's a great statement and it's a great show of leadership. And it just shows how those two have developed their tandem. But it's also um, a bit of a misnomer because Paul's going to have to still be the dude more often than not. No, for sure. How does uh, how does Kawhi look to you, number one? Uh, and I will rope John Wall into that, too. I mean, we haven't seen John Wall play an NBA game. Uh, you might have a counter that is the exact day, it's, but it's... 528 days, I see. Is it? Law, you wrote before you played the other night, and, and Kawhi was, was 476. So, right. yeah, how do they look to you? Well, Kawhi is incredibly fit right now, <laughs> like... 230 pounds. I'm not even sure if that's, uh, he, he, he's, he's just yoked. I mean, dude spent a year in the lab just working on his body, you know, conditioning though. The conditioning right now for Kawhi is going to be a work in progress. And I mean, it's not like he said himself, it's not like he's going to play high thirties, um, to start the year. I think when he played his preseason debut, he definitely looked a little tired five minutes in, but part of that was he was working on defense um, as much as he was looking for any anything in his offense. Uh, John Wall says Sunday night something similar as it relates to him. He feels like the conditioning parts of things as far as how his body looks, how he's feeling physically is okay, but that whole team has to get used to playing, you know, NBA-paced basketball. You know, when you play in pickup, there's a sense of informality that comes with that. Whereas when you play NBA games, even in the preseason, there's a cadence there that there's a reason we have a term called midseason form. I don't think either one of those guys, Kawhi or John, are in what I would call midseason form, um, which is to be expected. It's like John's at least played pickup. Kawhi didn't play pickup. Kawhi never plays pickup in the offseason, even when he's healthy. And so I think Kawhi is going to get there at some point. Um, he's going to be managed effectively. That's the other reason why he's going to, again, the minute count's not going to be. Yeah, you've mentioned that a couple times. Yeah. Is that like absolutely no back-to-backs? He will not play both games. No one has said this officially, but I also think that's one of those things where why would he play any back-to-backs? Like yeah. he's, he's we've seen this from Kawhi before. He's missed virtually a year of basketball before. And we saw in his Toronto year, his first comeback from a long-term absence, how he was managed his first year with the Clippers. He didn't play a single back-to-back. He played back-to-backs in his second year with the Clippers, but that year ended with the partial ACL tear. He didn't play at all last year. Dude's not playing back-to-backs. I think people look, if he does play a back-to-back, y'all know my at y'all can hit me, but he's not playing any back-to-backs. You just have to <laughs> know that going in. I feel the same way about Clay. That that seems like how the Warriors are, are managing Clay. Like I'd be surprised to see him play back to back. So Law, where does that leave you as it relates to the just the question of where the Clippers should be considered among title contenders? Because A, with Kawhi, if you got not that we're, you know, Vegas bookmakers here, but if you gotta have an over under on games played, I'm curious what kind of number you would pick. And then, you know, tied into that is just, you know, the, the Raptors experience for Kawhi is obviously the blueprint, you know, load management all year long. I remember that regular season, you know, some reporting and, and actual smoke uh, about the Raptors chemistry, the Raptors leadership, and the idea that Kawhi being in and out was a bit of a problem 
for some of his teammates. That obviously fell by the wayside. You know, the Warriors injuries play a huge part. Toronto wins the title. Uh, But for this Clippers team and that question of the leadership and the continuity and the type of stuff that that we still – I think analyze and wonder like, you know, is can you win? Like when you're getting load managed like this, uh, how do you see that side of it? Well, I think you look at that 2018, 19 Raptors team and you analyze it with similarities and differences. The similarities that over under should be right where that Raptors season was at. He played 60 games that year. I think that's a safe over under. Uh, I would honestly, I would take the under, Um, but uh, not that far under. I, I think 50 to 60 games is probably where I'm where where I kind of see it at with Kawhi, um, because not only do you have the back to backs, but it's like if dude has a single nick, they're so deep that they will hold him out. They are not playing for the regular season title here. Okay, they're not trying to be the Phoenix Suns of the last two years with Chris Paul trying to. The get- West is brutal though. I do wonder in terms of the the context of the standings. Uh, the West is is brutal. You, re- I mean, you can't mess it, it around too much. The West is brutal. The new format, which really, you know, I guess highlights the difference between six and seven, has right. changed right. the right. threat level. You know, to teams like like because you know the Warriors are similar again. It's like they want to play their youth, they want to rest their veterans. But if the West is clumped and loaded up top, you better not get in danger of falling to seven. Right. And the Clippers, they understand that from two two seasons ago when you had the play-in tournament and they got off to a great start that season. I think they were the number, te- number one team in the league through about uh, 15 to 20 games, something like that, right before Kawhi and PG hit health and safety protocols and knocked them out for a couple of games right at the start of a road trip, which brings me to my other point. Why would the chemistry or, or the situation with the Clippers with how they're managing Kawhi be different than what could be suspect at times chemistry with that 2018, 19 Raptors team. And the answer is the Clippers have been developing the depth to support both Kawhi and PG for years. Whereas that Raptors team literally traded the face of their franchise and fired the coach of the year so that they could take a one year shot with Kawhi. This is a different kind of team. This is a team that, Everybody is on the same page from the ownership to the front office, to the coaching staff, to the stars, to the role players, even the new guys coming in. They all know what the deal is with Kawhi. They all know what the plan is overall. And they all know that they have to be ready to not just not have consistent roles as far as when they're playing or not, but even the positions. This is a team that everyone loves to talk about a bit of Zubots. It's funny. Everyone likes to talk about the scam that is positionless basketball and then at the same time get all up in arms when a center isn't playing, you know. So like you got dudes who can play on the on 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 the on the court and many different roles, many different positions. That's what we should be talking about. And so guy number 12 might not play, but then when Kawhi is out, guy number 12 might play 25 minutes. And that's the difference between this scene. All right, another incredibly interesting part of that team that you cover. How the hell is John Wall doing? And, and I mean that as a player and obviously as a person. Uh, if anybody hasn't read it, uh, John Wall headline, I'm still here at the Players' Tribune. Just a, just an incredibly raw, open, and and tough to read, but ultimately uplifting story about John and his past couple of years, his mom passing away, what he's been through, serious thoughts about suicide, um, you know, and, and so it's neat to see him out there smiling, doing his thing. I, reading your piece today from when you were in Seattle, I think this is the right piece, where he talked about his defense and, and you know, just basketball stuff, right? Like he's he's kind of reintroducing himself into the space, and the game obviously is something that, that has always filled him that he's been passionate about. Um, he drops 20 points last night, you know, led the team in scoring. How does John Wall factor in here? How is he doing? Well, there's a lot to John. Uh, and as you mentioned, Sam goes beyond basketball. I think that's a big reason why he wanted to be a Clipper as well. Uh, he had friends who are here now. Um, Paul being a main part of that. Paul was credited by Lawrence Frank as a main reason why John Wall wanted to come to the Clippers. They were in the same draft in 2010. They've always looked out for each other. John wanted Paul to come to the Washington Wizards when he saw an opening with the Pacers and break down to that relationship that Indiana had with PG. Obviously, uh, PG went the other way, wound up going to OKC uh, for a couple of years. Um, John is obviously uh, close to DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe, 
guys who he played at Kentucky with and were Clippers uh, either last year or the year before. So there was some conversations there. John had a pretty good idea of the Clippers organization before John even signed here. And uh, it's interesting that this show is tampering. So I don't want to suggest that there any of that was happening, but you know, there was definitely a connection there where it's like, even before the bio, I was like, John's probably going to consider the Clippers and it went beyond basketball. Sure. The point guard conversation has been out there. Um, as a point guard, we're going to see if John's even going to start. Uh, he's in a competition with Reggie Jackson. There is a potential case where Reggie is going to be the starter to at least start the year, because when you have the incumbent um, in a role like that, you can have John come back to the NBA at his pace and his pace is blistering. That's what the Sunday night game against Timberwolves suggested the preseason game where he scores 20 points, gets the line nine times in 20 minutes. Uh, John wall adds a different dimension to a second unit. Um, but if John gets to be the starter, which again, that could come later in the season, it could be in the playoffs. The Clippers are going to give him the kind of runway to get back at his own time. And that, mm-hmm. it, that really brings you to the other part with John, which is the support that John's going to get uh, from his teammates, from the organization. That's something that John needed when John's being open about what he's dealt with from a mental health standpoint, which is also an emotional health standpoint. Mental health is the buzzword now. Emotional health, emotional intelligence is something that we still don't talk about enough, Sam, anything. We don't talk about enough. And John has felt all of that. John knows that he's in a place where, okay, he's talked about his mental health journey, but he's also around a bunch of guys where he, even if he's not playing the same role as he used to, uh, he's happy. He's, he's, he's looking forward to being in LA, being with this particular team, with these goals, uh, fulfilling the basketball goals, et cetera. Uh, I think that there's still some steps John has to take on the court after not playing at last year, after playing a really rocky season for the Rockets two seasons ago. Um, the turnovers has to come down. Uh, I think the shot's fine. He's going to have to get used to finishing again and, and taking that contact and and all the things that come with knocking rust off from a long layoff. But big picture with John Wall, he's in a good place right now, and that's and and that's really uh, the most important thing for the next couple weeks. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out, birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Gentlemen, before we get out of here, uh, let's do a a kind of a quick hit around the league and and try to cover some other news because it is that time of year where things are moving fast and furious. Uh, I'm going to start, you know, since I already made fun of myself for overlooking the Clippers and and over covering the Lakers, uh, Rob Palenka of the Lakers gets an extension, right? And so it's funny because recently we had heard some rumblings that this was the case and and admittedly, just pulling the curtain back a little bit, um, had had some internal conversations where I was like, oh, we really need to figure out is Rob entering the last year of his deal or uh, are these rumblings true that he might have actually gotten an extension uh, a little while back? Turns out, it was the latter. Chris Haynes at Yahoo Sports first broke the story about the extension, um, you know. But then I, w- I was, you know, had it confirmed that this was actually agreed on before the coaching search 
that led to Darvin Ham. And so the idea, as it was told to me, was that, you know, the Lakers wanted alignment between their coach and their GM. And so you get Rob on that deal going through 2026, and then you plan on signing the the coach for the same exact timeline. That ends up being Darvin Ham. So it's kind of a... You know, love him or hate him, Rob Palenka is running this front office, guys. And, and you know, Rob's one of those guys that on social media obviously gets a ton of criticism and, and in good old-fashioned media. Um, and this is a massive year for the Lakers. We're still waiting to see what they do, if anything, with Russell Westbrook. You know, we talk about him a ton. And, and Slater, you know, you talk about a team that, that's got to be careful to – to not even fall out of the top six, but even to, you know, not be in that play. And the Lakers have lived that life very recently. Uh, but, but what did you make of that move and, and what it means, if anything? I mean, I always think it's good to have like stability um, and, you know, not necessarily like, would he have been on the last year of his deal this year? Say that was the sense I got. I cannot a hundred percent say that. Yeah, so you don't, you know usually want that right because then it's you know lame duck uh situation you you know you worry about differing motives sometimes if 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 a front office person seems to believe that their job is on the line oftentimes they'll make very panicked decisions to make sure you know they're not worried as much about the long-term future of the organization they'll make moves that only help the moment because they're trying to save their job um so i think that is good for the lakers from a stability standpoint we could sit here and talk like if you know, do we think he's done a good job? Do we think this is who the Lakers should want running their frame? You know, uh, basketball decision making over the next however many years, more debatable, I'd say. But you know, they they have uh, committed to it. Man, yeah, I mean, we know their core is LeBron and AD. Uh, you know, and and he obviously gets a lot of credit for bringing that core to town. The Westbrook thing has has backfired. Um, now, in the interest of being fair, and I've actually had this conversation with Rob, Rob is uh, is aware that on this tampering podcast, when they got Russell Westbrook, I said the Lakers would win the championship. So I can't take that away. That obviously was the wrong move, but or the wrong prediction. But there was a lot of media coverage at the time thinking with people thinking Russ would work. Uh, Slater, I forget what side of that fence you were on. I think you were skeptical. Um, Quite. Yes. But, you know, you know, to me, it's we'll see where they take it from here. Uh, I don't have a problem at all with the stability. Um, you know, they continue to we wrote about this a couple of weeks ago there. They've got, you know, it's not new voices in their room, but but more legitimized voices, you know, with Joey and Jesse Buss, a bigger part of that front office. Now, I think obviously Kurt Rambis right there with Rob Palenka and uh, and we'll see where the Lakers go. Um, Law, I'm going to throw it to you with this one uh, just on a more light, fun basketball only note Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson those two games in Vegas and I know this is a little dated here but we're going to be talking about these guys for years and years and years um I've never seen prospects you know come out the gate on the national stage like that uh I admittedly I had FOMO seeing our John Hollinger on the telecast sitting there eating potato chips you know behind the commentators uh, cuz John was there I think Shamsharani was there uh, just incredible stuff, and, and people have not stopped talking since, mostly about Victor. Scoot looked great, but Victor is is obviously a unicorn in every sense. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I, so I covered the Clippers, and that means I covered Nicholas Batum. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of, the, one, one of the bastions of French basketball. And uh, Nico has been bragging about Victor all 2022, um, or at least I started <laughs> listening earlier in 2022 he might have been talking about him uh two years ago for all i know uh but i had heads up uh about w- what victor was going to try and do what he was going to try and showcase like nico calls him a cheat code and damn it he is i didn't think um i mean hype is sensitive obviously um we we all have our uh subjective uh, associations with hype but Man's a seven four, taking setback threes, coming off the screens, and still maintaining a presence inside at the rim and everything. Right. Like he wants to win, he wants to play. Those are the things that I'm really excited about. Um, uh, Bruna Injai is uh, Nico's agent, uh, Victor's agent, and I loved how Bruna was like, "I'm not on team bubble wrap here. Like kid wants to play, we're gonna have him play." Like. 
Uh, yeah, he could shut it down, uh, but he wants to. He's a young guy who needs to continue to develop his his uh, already exceptional skill set. And that's the thing I like. I like the fact that Scoot and Victor played against each other. I like the fact that Victor's going to keep playing. I like the fact that we know who he is now, and um, maybe we're going to have an even greater appreciation for Victor going into 2023 than we have for someone like Luka Doncic five years ago. So I think that's, I think it's exciting. Obviously I wish him good health, but I also wish him good basketball. Like let the young bulls play. That's, that's where I'm at. Says the Kawhi Leonard beat writer. I, yep. <laughs> um, I, that's all right. Kawhi's old at this point. I just, you, you need that old man loads man. I just think about like possible fits and like what would be fun, right? We kind of know the landscape of the the, the tankathon ahead, um, which includes those four teams in the West. It's a little bit more unknown in the East, but I just like if the Thunder get the first pick, that would be so interesting to me because you have Chet who's on you know layaway right now, basically. For so we're not going to see him this season. There's a theoretical chance. Let's say Thunder get the first pick. You got. Chet and Wimboyana debuting on the same day on the same team. Are you going like Twin Towers? Like, Let's get, go to OKC, Slater. Well, I mean, just, you know, yeah. I think the other teams, it's much more obvious. Like, yeah, you're the, the Rockets or something, you know, you're picking him or, uh, you San know, Antonio. Utah, yeah, Utah, San Antonio, you need a building block, the Pacers, whatever. I'm not saying the Thunder wouldn't pick him. Yeah, but, Tony Parker's got his foot on the scale on this one. He's, yeah. He's trying to get the Frenchman that way. But you have, I mean, would that not be a fascinating, like youthful fit together? Yeah. Chet and Wimbayana. They're kind of like, they're not the exact same, but they kind of are. Absolutely. Law, you know, a guy is creating hype when uh, the other day, when Slater and I were at the first day of Draymond Green availability, when everybody but Draymond addressed the situation, um, you know, right in the thick of it, there was a, a question about Victor, which which I thought was funny because it, you know, I mean, people were talking. So even in the biggest controversy in the league, people wanted Steph Curry's take on on Victor Wembanyama. Uh, gents, I'm gonna let you go with that. I'd love to look on your face later. Well, Sam well, also uh, wanted a Scoot Henderson breakdown. I forgot it. <laughs> I didn't hey, bring Scoot, that part up. I like. I, I'll say you just real quick. No, I like. I him. agree. I agree. He is incredibly poised. For yeah. the position and his age and where he's at playing a second year with this G League Ignite outlet. I'm impressed. Yeah. I, I, I hate that he got hurt. I'm, I'm glad that he'll be okay. He's 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 very exciting. If any of these guys were six six, they'd be they'd be future clippers. That's all I'm gonna say. He is. And and shout out my guy Sharif Abdul Rahim, G League president, who I covered for quite a few years in Sacramento. Uh, you know, that was a, a production that was very well done in Vegas. You know, he he was behind all that with G League Ignite, the creation of that team. His old Kings teammate, Jason Hart, head coach of that Ignite team. Um, they put on a hell of a show. And you get that that team to come over from France and, and jump on national TV like that. And, I mean, they were pulling ratings, you know, away from – from actual games i found myself like little torn you got to have two tvs up because i'm not missing the vegas action so it'll be fun to cover those guys see them in the league it is always fun talking to you two gentlemen i appreciate you and we will talk to you and the listeners next time thanks everybody thank you guys